bulletin if you like. That's the New King James Version. That's the one I'll be talking about from my New King James up here. But then be ready with the Pew Bible or go there if you want uh, to, oh, I had it written, but it's not right in front of me, to the page where Luke eleven fourteen begins and compare the New King James to the ESV. That's a very valid thing to do as we talk about the distinctions in translation and the idea of maybe changing from ESV to New King James. I think we should, but I want it to be something we understand and I think over time just doing this kind of operation, you'll start to see it. You'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, we want that. So consider how you want to participate in that experiment this morning. Um, feel free to just pick up the bulletin. It's right there. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 24, uh, where Jesus is talking about demons. Demons. And he talks about them as unclean spirits. And the key, why would we even care to look at this on this All Saints Day, this All Hallows Day, this All Holies Day? Well, to start with, I want to drive into your heart that holy means clean. That's why the Jews wash their hands the way they do. That's why they ate the food that they ate and not other food, is because it was holy, it was clean. God said so, and if you study it, you find out, you know, a lot of it's actually, yeah, it's better for you. Ruminant meat's really good for you compared to, say, chicken, right? Just, there's just protein-wise, the, the value is different. It doesn't mean that we should go back to the Old Testament and do everything it says, start wearing all the clothing weird, grow our hair weird. But what it does mean is that Jesus our God is very concerned with cleanness because cleanness is also about health. And that what he wants more than anything else is not the cleanness and health of your present body, but the cleanness and health of your present soul, which is tied to your body in ways that you can't even tell the difference. We can't tell the difference right now. So it's all intermeshed and stuff, right? But here he's talking about what happens when you cast out a demon. Well, the soul gets cleaned. And what's kind of valuable ahead of times here is to see how this is not disconnected from the last things he will say and, and where this whole section's going. So if you got the text all the way in front of you, scoot down to the end where it talks about the eye and light and what goes into the body through the eye. And keep that in mind as we go forward here, because on All Saints Day, in which we're remembering all those who, cleaned by Christ, rest in him and have gone before us, it would be pretty foolish for us not to consider what it means to, to be cleaned by Christ, especially in an age in which, am I, am I allowed to say it? Can I say it? All Hallows' Eve, Halloween, if you're paying attention, is a celebration of uncleanness. Frankly, actually, practically, there's like no way around it. It might still be fun. I have favorite candies too. It's a celebration of uncleanness. Just look at what they're putting in their yards. It's, it's bizarre, really. So in such a time, you know, to discern for yourself what's clean, what's unclean. I'm not here and going to tell you what's clean, unclean. You know, plastic in your yard, that's up to you. You know, what you do with your land, that's, that's up to you. But I think you can learn to discern the spirits behind things and then not pursue those spirits which you see as bad. Right? I think that's the gift of God to Christians. 
And he's kind of talking about that here, right? So what happens when Jesus saves you? What happens when Jesus' Holy Spirit goes into you? It is that you have all the devil cast out of you in terms of his, his control, right? And so he says, you know, the next thing that happens is that that demon itself, that unclean spirit, it goes off and it looks for rest and it can't find any. See, the demons are restless. They're restless. They, they don't sleep. <laughs> uh, they're ever just kind of trying to eat about the best it gets. And they feast on your fear, probably something like that, you know, demon tours and all that. <laughs> uh, uh, they find no, none and they, they then go back to where they think they can go. And, and this, is, this is pretty powerful stuff from Jesus. He's like, yeah, just because you believed in me and then accepted everything I said doesn't mean when the lie comes back, you won't decide to go back to the lie and chase it all the way down the hole of the fire. You can still do that as a Christian. All Saints Day is part of like, we're celebrating these names because so far as we can see from their words, they got to death and still were Christians. And this isn't meant to be like, watch out guys, be scared. No, no, this is meant to be like, let's dig in and walk like it's true because we know God will get us there. Yeah. But he is pointing out to the, the people in his time, the generation, which is about to be destroyed by fire uh, uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, he's pointing out to them, uh, that, that they're not receiving him, right? Uh, and so what's going to happen is while he's among them, God is among them. And then when he's ascended to heaven, they'll have no God anymore, right? And the spirit of lawlessness will descend upon the city and destroy it within a generation. That, that's other texts that get us there, but that's where he's going, okay? Um, but back to what it would mean then to us, now, when the, when the wicked spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came, just hear that as a little bit, you're susceptible to lies you used to believe. You're like more susceptible to lies you used to believe, unless you've got like a, a fortress built up against it. And sometimes that can make you susceptible to other lies, by the way, right? Uh, you're so in reaction to something that you're just never again going to do that. And you end up doing something else, you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, See how the spirits work among us. They're not lurking in the alley with a forked tail. Right? It's the way you're taught to talk to yourself by others. It's a lot of it. It's how you hear words. So when you hear words that you know were bad, when you start to pick up on what like shame talk is like, if you ever lived with someone who shames you, right? Uh, when you start to hear it again from others, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to get close. Uh, if you've learned, again, to respect your own heart enough and to want to be kind enough to find out there's some people you just can't be kind to because all they do is hurt you back. It's really hard to be kind to them. It's really very hard to be their friends. And you end up ceasing to be kind. You know, bad company ruins good character, I think is how uh, Romans says it, something like that. But so spirits, spirituality, demonology, it's not about running around with like a, a, well, I do have a crucifix, but with like oil to throw it on people, make the demons go away. It's about learning what the tongue is doing and then listening to how you're being talked to. And a lot of that starts with how you talk to yourself. And that's where your flesh is on the devil's side and without repentance and an active mind in the, in the fight, you're bound to just hate yourself inside. And so, you know, Jesus is warning about that, right? He's not here so you can keep on hating yourself. That's not what he came for. Um, uh, when, when it comes, again, this is verse 25 now, uh, the, the demon, it finds, it's swept and put in order, right? So 
Uh, if there are no guards <laughs> to the city, if nothing's been changed, you're just going to walk on. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Great. Life's good now. But there's no like, what are these fruit of the spirit? And, and why do the Ten Commandments like get rejected by our government right now? What does that mean? Like, those are things you can't not think about when the spirit is in you. Because how you live today matters. And whether your neighbor thinks it's okay to murder you matters. And whether or not you want to be kind or whether you're too busy being afraid and running to be kind matters, right? And let me suggest, St. Paul, we're all here because, yeah, it matters and we're all hungering to grow in the faith, which gives us certainty in these things rather than fear, right? Which makes it so that when we come to St. Paul, this is true already. Why do you, we're kind people here. It's really kind of nice. You've taught me a lot in that as your pastor. You've received me with kindness continually. And it's, it's made me a kinder man. And I look forward to putting that into practice with you for years to come. So in this, though, it means that you can't just leave your house clean and expect it to stay clean, right? Like anybody do that at home? You just cleaned once, right? You moved in, cleaned it up, done. Right? No, that's not how it works, right? So be prepared for the battle. It comes back armed now, this spirit. Right, with seven other holy, seven, the number of holiness, uncleanness, though. The devil's trying to look clean. All right, the devil's trying to look clean, but it's more wicked to feign righteousness. Right, they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And let me suggest that whatever that is, it means he's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. So the one who's being driven by his flesh or by demons, and they work together, uh, is going to be evidently a hypocrite to those who know him best. Her too, right? Uh, that is the driving nature of sin is that you hide it and you put on one front to everybody else and you are something different. Yeah. So hypocrisy really is what All Saints Day is about. <laughs> it's about a bunch of people who were hypocrites and now are not because in their death, they lost that flesh entirely. And now there's no hypocrisy left in them. There is only the trueness of what Jesus created them to be from the beginning. And that is so glorious, we can't even imagine it. Although you can start to taste it, right? You can start to taste it. Uh, so hypocrisy is what we're here to be saved from. I met somebody, I'll go ahead and share this, uh, lives in the area. I used to be a member at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church, which is, if you don't know, this building. Um, and uh, not anymore. And uh, lots of conversation, but it turned into, you know, a bunch of hypocrites. And I didn't really even try to talk. I was, I was about to take the information and go, okay, thank you, thank you. This was, this was about the early thousands, late 90s. So it's a while ago. Most of us were not here. You're downtown or you're somewhere else. But I, I think it's pretty common, though, for people to think that the church is filled with hypocrites. And, and I also think it's pretty common for the church to be actually filled with hypocrites. I just don't know that it's impossible for those hypocrites to admit it. And to be okay with it. And then to kind of work on tearing it down a little bit. And I kind of think that's what the hospital here is for. It's like you kind of walk in, you're like, I'm a hypocrite. That's why I go to church. <laughs> it's because I want to learn how to strip it away a little bit. And it starts by I'll get together and say I'm a bad person with everybody else. Which, you know, go find someone else out there willing to say once a week, I am a bad person. Like they're probably not going to do it. Right? That makes you pretty different, set apart, holy. Now clean again. Uh, we're on a lot of different issues. I, I really want to focus in on the words of Jesus, though, here, right? 
so that his word being heard, if it doesn't stay with you, is kind of makes you worse off. Because now you not only have the sin of Adam, right, but you've, you've added your own with the rejection of Jesus directly. I mean, there are levels of hell. There are layers of punishment. It's pretty clear from various texts. It's justice. And to reject Jesus is worse than to have never heard of him, even though to have never heard of him is to reject God. Now, we could debate the apology of that some other time, but he makes it pretty clear here. The last day is worse. And so what's that there for? It was for us, I think, to hope in the end. It makes this one lady very happy for sure. She hears him speaking against hypocrisy in the priesthood, and she says, thank God your mother told you the true things about Torah. Power of a mother, don't you ever underestimate it, by the way. It's pretty strong stuff. You just give it the time. But, but. She calls this out in, in the Lutheran. It was Reformation last week, right? You have to notice the seeds of Roman Catholic error is just sitting right there in the heart of every single human alive. <laughs> oh, it must have been his mom, right? Oh, maybe she's got some power now. Let's pray to her. Yeah, and you know, that whole thing. What I think is just most poignant though, I mean, I guess you could also point out how it's pretty rare for a woman to shout in a Jewish crowd. That's weird. He could have condemned her for that alone, actually. But instead, he's kind of like, yeah, you know what? The angel did say she's most blessed among women. But there's a greater blessing than her getting to raise me as the perfect baby that still cried and pooped. The better blessing is that after she sees me die and rise again, she'll come to faith in me as her king and savior. She thinks she knows that now, but she doesn't. She doesn't understand. Nobody understands till he dies, right? I mean, we know that. That's clear from every single one of the Gospels. So yeah, blessed is Mary, but no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Can you put your finger in your Bible and turn to Psalm 119? Can you do it? You can just follow with me in your head too if you want. Psalm 119, verse 1. Right at the start of this giant psalm. It's not exactly what Jesus is quoting, but it kind of is what Jesus is quoting. It's a psalm on the blessing of hearing the word of God and keeping it. And remember how blessings are not merely just kind of things in the air that slip out and fall on you sometimes. <laughs> uh, blessings are words that are given to speak to others to encourage them based upon the prophecies of God. So when a psalm is a blessing, it's meant to be spoken upon someone, including yourself. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 1, you can speak it on yourself or you can speak it on someone else. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, New King James says, blameless, I think the ESV might have. This doesn't mean, oh no, not you, you're not perfect. This means Christian. This means saved by Jesus. This means cleaned by the washing of regeneration poured out in his blood, and water, and spirit. Yeah. So begin with just, this means blessed are you. You're a Christian, you're reading this. Blessed are you undefiled in the way, because that's the promise of who you're going to be. And then you can speak it at any time to anyone. You know, blessed is the man who is undefiled in the way. I'm in a pace where I feel like there's evil around me and it's going to destroy me. But blessed is the man who is undefiled in the way. The Holy Spirit is with me, right? It's powerful stuff, blessing. It really is. 
Um, what I wanted to get here is just to hear these words as echoing the blessing that Jesus speaks. Blessed are those who keep the word of God, who hear it and keep it. And now these, we chanted these words a little bit ago from Psalm 119, a meditation on keeping the word. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that your, my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Right? It's a prayer that I would walk in a righteous way so that shame would just not be possible in my life. I might still have guilt. I'd be able to repent right? without shame. That's, that's what we're asking for is that kind of identity more than that kind of activity. The identity will drive the activity. And let me just point out how skewy Lutheran homiletics have gotten in the last hundred years that I had to, as I read that out loud, stop myself from, from arguing against Lutherans will hear me online and say, you can't do that. <laughs> right? I'll just give you one. They also do no iniquity. Right? So the Psalms say you don't sin. It says it. You're a Christian. Blessed are you. You don't sin. And, but, but we sin. We know we sin. Yeah. Yes. But why would you argue with the text? The text isn't here to remind you of that factor of experience. The text is here to remind you that even when sin is all around you, the iniquity pressing down on you and even bound up in your flesh is not what you're after. It's not who you want to be. It's not what you were born to be. And certainly given the opportunity, it's not who you will be. That's what it means. But that soul, that soul that's alive in Christ is trapped in this flesh, right? This body of death. It's pretty cool, but just like a prototype, really, at this point. Huh? Blessed are you when you hear the word of God and keep it. Back, back to Luke. And so he goes on now to pronounce not a blessing, but a bit of a curse in verse 29 and following. While the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say. Now, the crowds are an interesting crew in, uh, in the Gospels. Each of the Gospels is something like a, a movie, uh, but it's more like a Greek morality play, <laughs> uh, uh, which is like a movie. There's parts, right? Uh, there are characters. And in uh, a lot of Greek morality plays, ancient Greek plays, uh, there was a character called the chorus. You maybe remember this from high school English and it drove you nuts, right? But the chorus, um, they all spoke as one and kind of all did the same thing. They'd be like three guys that would stand there, you know, one dressed as a woman to play the woman. And then they would all say the same words and they would stand in for like, you know, thousands of people, right? Or something like that. Um, and that's the way that the crowds work in almost all of the gospels when the gospel writers talk about it. It's like, you have disciples, right? You have followers. You got, you got people kind of getting closer to Jesus. The crowds are the whole mix. So when he's talking now, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Christians. He's talking to the people who aren't so sure. He's talking to everybody. Christians, you want to hear this as though he's not speaking specifically to you, though. Right? He's speaking in your hearing about others. And it is to be taken with all seriousness. So, uh, i got to find it on my page. He said, <laughs> what do you do with this? This is an evil generation. 
Uh, if you'd like some scripture, interpret scripture on that one, uh, go back to Proverbs 30 and the riddles of Agur. And there's a little series on there is a generation and it's three and four. There's a bunch of riddles on three and four that go and follow. But what I suggest to you from that is that the cycle of rise and fall of nations has some generational rhythm to it. And there comes a generation, often the fourth generation, as God visits the sins to the third and fourth generation upon people, that fourth generation is so wicked that they destroy themselves. And, and Jesus is like, that's right now, guys. Now, does that mean that's right now for us as Christians today? I'll leave that one in your heart, okay? Those times come when it's an evil generation. And again, Proverbs 30, you'll talk about it. You want to know what that means. Uh, it seeks a sign, though, Jesus says. So the first thing the evil generation says about God is prove it. Oh, we've been an evil generation for at least 120 years then with regard to the cultures speaking about God in the public square. Yeah. The debates about the existence of God, God is dead, and all that kind of thing. That's not everybody. But certainly... Is there. You've run into the people. I'd believe in God if he'd prove himself to me. Oh, okay, you moron. I mean, you can't argue with stupid. You really can't. You can try. You can get in there and show them all the reasons why, if you study this science or that science or this science or that science or anything more than what they taught you in high school, you'll see it's so complicated, nobody could have made this up. An accident doesn't explain it. It's that easy, really. Yeah. Uh, you're evil to want to be proved that there's a God, right? You're evil. <laughs> um, and no sign is going to be given to you, actually. So Jesus is like, at that point, I don't even worry about you. Like, if you're going to hell, like, <laughs> that was already decided, you know. And since you're such a jerk, I don't care. That's kind of how it happens to, say, the Amalekites or Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The opportunity for repentance before they die is taken away. As, let me suggest, the penalty of generational sin Three and four chances for the people to repent. And you know, Asa repented. Josiah repented. And Josiah, you know, his repentance was it just it was just too late anyway. <laughs> uh, and yet it spilled it off for a generation. For a generation, they all lived. Yeah. It's, it's powerful stuff here, right? It's both about what's going on in our world and, and not at the same time. Because the sign that's given is the sign of Jonah. And that's Jesus' death and resurrection. So what he's saying there, if we take it all the way to the, the temple courts, is that when the Pharisees are like, prove your God, you say your God, prove your God. They do it in their language, not in our language. But that's the, that's the conversation in every gospel. Prove your God. Say, you, know, you say you are. And, and he, he says, well, okay, Jonah. Sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights in the fish. Three nights in the earth. And no, I mean, everyone's kind of like, dude, this guy, what's he on? You know, I mean, really, I mean, he just, he's out of left field. And, and yet what it is, you know now, we've explained this enough, it's been taught enough, right? Is his death and resurrection. That's the sign. And look, look what happens as a result of that sign, Pentecost. Like in this evil generation where the crowds are uncertain and all this stuff and they're about to be destroyed by Rome, they get a whole generation longer to believe in Christ and escape the city, which actually happens before it gets destroyed. It's quite powerful real-time salvation of the early Christians, their persecution in Jerusalem saved their lives. It's quite incredible how God is always at work in this. Yeah, The sign. So don't look for a sign from God. That's kind of the key, 
the key teaching here. Um, the signs which have been given by God are given in the Bible. So <laughs> when you see a rainbow, you've seen a sign from God. Say, hallelujah. He's promised never to destroy the earth again in fire, and it connects with daily bread. Thank Jesus for daily bread when you see a rainbow. Yeah, that's a sign. Uh, when somebody is baptized in the Holy Christian Church, regardless of their denomination, usually, uh, that's a sign they're a Christian now. And, and nobody disagrees with that. That's what we all say. It's like in the Bible even, right? Uh, and of course, the Lord's Supper is the sign of Jesus' death and resurrection as well. Scripture says that too, and almost everyone agrees with that, whether or not they can believe the power of his promises like, like we, we do, right? Uh, so there are signs for us now, and this sign of Jonah, he is risen. It is ours too. So don't seek for signs out in nature. Don't look for the sky to prove itself to you, right? Uh, that isn't to say that the creator God who is your father won't just reveal how as author of nature he is there. And this everyone experiences on the level of, ah, oh, a sunset, right? Like it goes from that down to, wow, I can't believe those three bad things happened so that this amazing good thing could happen. Like it gets to that level, right? Where he's just, he is the God of providence. I like thinking of providence as fortune, not luck, not luck. No, 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 but fortune, blessing, good fortune. We all have it. It's the gift of, of resurrection in Christ now. Yeah. So again, the sign, don't go looking for signs, but receive every gift as if it's from Jesus. Uh, and and he, he goes on to condemn those who are there with the queen of the South, which he basically is saying, hey, this barbarian pork eating princess who reigned over her men because they were too weak. She repented when she heard about Solomon and she came and asked about the true God and she learned how it ought to be. So why won't you listen to me? I'm bigger than Solomon. Solomon, by the way, have you heard me say? It means shalom, right? Man of peace. The man of peace, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is the man of peace. He's the greater one. Solomon is just a foreshadowing of that. So she comes to hear the wisdom. He's greater. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh. There's Jonah again, right? They will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, one greater than Jonah is here. Moving on to bring it home with the lamp. Verse 33, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. Now that may call to mind how the word of God is to be like a lamp that we put on a stand that shows forth. He talks that way in other places, but that's not what he's doing now. Right now he's setting up a different parable. And in this parable, the connection is just this. You put the lamp high up so that the light is connected to it. Then he says, that's why the eyes are on the top of your head. All right, I'm gonna read it for you. Um, I'm gonna come back to where it is. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, on a lampstand, verse uh, 33 again, that those who come in may see the light, the lamp of the body is the eye. Right. This is really the parable, is that the eye is like a lamp, only instead of taking or sending light out, the implication here is that your eye takes light in. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Now look, this is as simple as science too. If you spend eight hours staring at a computer screen, your body will feel a certain way that's quite different than if you spend eight hours in the mountains in the good air of the sunshine. 
The light you take in does impact you, and there's plenty of science on how blue light, which is anything we make with electricity, isn't great in like long super doses. Like it, it'll give you a headache, right? And you know this. I mean, with 3D movies, <laughs> I haven't really caught on for some reasons. Uh, so uh, light goes in on a very native level, but he's he's talking also about the spiritual nature of things here, right? Uh, that what you look at is going to form who you are. Yeah. Therefore, take heed you know, that the light which is in you, that means what you look at. Take heed of what you look at, yeah, that it is not darkness, uncleanness. Right? And you know, I mentioned Halloween again. I don't care about the pumpkins, but the Grim Reaper whose body is like falling apart in blood and gore that's like seven feet high, I, I just, I don't want to look at it. Do you? I, I didn't need that. So you take heed what you look at. I'm not going to go make that neighbor do it, but I know what I'm going to put in my yard and I know what I'm going to let be on my wall, right? I'm going to form myself with the things God put there for me to form with, his word especially. So that, verse 36, if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body is full of light. And you know, you see this in the transfiguration of Jesus, yeah? Uh, but I think he's also just talking about hope and kindness and love. Uh, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light, that, that, that when the eye is shown what is good, we tend to be that way. And then Jesus died to do that, to show us what is good. And he sent Paul and Peter and the things they wrote to, to show us what is good, which is why it's not about staring at lights on the ceiling. It's about you know, what the light reflects off of is the Bible catching the light back into your eye. And there's the hope. There's the comfort. There's the discipline. It's not always making you happy. It's not like you just pick up the Bible, you feel better that day. It, it doesn't work that way. It is not a gimmick. Uh, but it won't wear off either for that reason. Uh, it, is, it is a discipline of receiving, knowing that you don't understand you don't. You read the Bible not because you understand it, but because you don't understand it. The deeper I've gotten, the more I've given up on really understanding large sections of it the way I would like to. I don't have time in this life. So fear it not and just swim in it again, all ye saints of God, all ye holy ones made clean by the word he has spoken to you. He is risen. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name.